Let us say a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness. We can't thank you enough for who you are. Be thou exalted in the name of Jesus. Father God, even as we speak your word, as we teach and we preach your word, that Lord, you teach us yourself in the name of Jesus. That Lord God, that the words that shall be spoken shall not be the words of man, but shall be your words in the name of Jesus. That Lord God, we would learn something new today and we would not live here the same in the name of Jesus. Thank you, precious Father. For it's in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I am pleased to have another opportunity and a privilege to be here to preach God's word this morning. For the over the past three weeks, thereabouts, we have been speaking on the theme of biblical prosperity. Um, this is a very important topic. It's a very interesting topic. It's a topic that hasn't always been handled in the best way in our churches today, but it is one which is very dear to God's heart. Uh, the title of our message today is The God of Enough. The God of Enough. Amen. Someone say the God of Enough. The God of Enough. We will be taking our text from the book of Exodus, chapter 16. Exodus, chapter 16, from verse 1 to the end. It is a, it's a rather lengthy passage of scripture, so permit me as I read through it as quickly as I can. Amen. Are we there? Exodus is after Genesis. <laughs> Exodus chapter 16. I read. And they took their journey from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, would, would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, and that I may prove to them whether they will walk in my law or no. And it, and it shall come to pass that on the sixth day they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel at even, that then ye shall know that the Lord hath brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning, then, ye shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be when the Lord shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. For the Lord heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him. And what are we 
Your murmurings are not against us, but against the Lord. And Moses spake unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he hath heard your murmuring. And it, and it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the God of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel. Speak unto them, saying, At even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. And it came to pass that in the even... Quills came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the host. And when the dew that lay was gone, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hard frost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord had given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord had commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and an omer. For every man, according to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them, which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some, some more, some less. And when they did meet it, it was an omer. He that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it unto the morning, and they bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. And it came to pass that on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses, and he said unto them, This is what the Lord had said, Tomorrow is the rest of the holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe. And that, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept unto the morning. And they laid it up unto the morning, as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any warm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall find you shall not find this in the field. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath in, in it, there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord hath given you the Sabbath. Therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed, white. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded. Fill an omer of it to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out, brought you forth from the land of Egypt. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and fill an omer full of manna therein, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. And the children of Israel did eat manna forty years until they came to a land inhabited. They did eat manna until they came to the border of the lands of Canaan. Now an omer is the tenth path of an epa. Amen. That was quite a bit. 
but it's a very important story. It's a story that we are all familiar with when we think about the children of Israel in the wilderness and we talk about manna from heaven. Everyone talks about it. So, ah, manna from heaven, manna from heaven, manna from heaven. It's, it's, so, it's so permeated our culture even today that whenever we consider anything free, we say it's manna from heaven. We consider it, we say, say oh, manna from heaven. But what does this have to do with prosperity? When we think about prosperity today, or when I think about prosperity today in our contemporary culture, in the world that we live in today, what I always think about is a song by a band that I quite like a lot. The words of the song, it goes like this. It says, success is equated with excess. The ambition for excess wrecks us. And it's, it's the word of today. When we consider success, we think of it in excess. That, oh, I have this much stuff and everything and for so many people we drown in it because we don't we don't know what's going on so when we think of prosperity we find what we would find is that the world does not understand it and i found this very interesting while i was preparing for this i decided to myself that okay you know what what does prosperity mean let me understand it let me get the gist of it so Naturally, as a regular human being would do, you go and check the dictionary, no? Right? That's what you do if you're looking for a word. You want to understand a word, right? So I went to the dictionaries and I checked and I was like, okay, what does prosperity mean? And the dictionary told me that it is the state of prospering. I said, okay. Okay, so what does it mean to then prosper? Let me find out. And all the dictionaries I went through, Maybe there are some dictionaries I have not checked. Maybe I should go and check the Urban Dictionary. But all the dictionaries that I looked through, every single one of them kept telling me that it is a state of financial success. That, oh, when someone is financially okay, that the person has prospered. I thought to myself, wow, is that really what prosperity is about? And the reality is that, no. And it opened my eyes to the challenges that we face in the world today. Because what is very interesting is that every single thing that the believer wants, the unbeliever also wants. The only difference is our alignment. We are aligned towards God. They are not aligned towards God. So we want love. We want companionship. We want comfort. We want eternal peace and happiness. Trust me, every single person in the world wants that too. We want prosperity. Yes, and it's not a bad thing to want. Everybody in the world wants that too. The problem is that because we do not understand what these things mean, we end up looking in the wrong places for them. So because we do not understand what prosperity is, from a biblical perspective, therefore we end up looking for it in the wrong places, and because of that we get into a lot of trouble. Amen. What then does prosperity mean? The word prosperity has been used or was used in several parts of the Bible. And what I found interesting was that in each instance of the word prosperity, in several of them, there were actually different Hebrew words. However, what was common was the fact that it generally meant good or goodness. In fact, there are certain places in your Bible today that read prosperity that's in the Hebrew Bible. It's the word shalom that is there. And that is interesting. And if we, if you know the meaning of shalom, you'd know that it means completeness, peace. And when you think about it, you realize that 
you start to see that prosperity starts to take on a different shape in your eyes. You begin to realize to yourself, you begin to think to yourself that, oh, okay, maybe prosperity isn't simply having riches. Maybe prosperity isn't simply having material things or the good things in life, that there is more to prosperity. And the truth is, there is more to prosperity. Prosperity is completeness. All the times that we have been thought about prosperity over the last three weeks, some of the things that we've learned about is the fact that prosperity is completeness, complete um, good in every aspect of our lives, be it our soul, be it our finances, be it our health, because that is very, very important when we talk about prosperity. Now, going back to the text, if we are to define prosperity in the simplest form, I would say this, prosperity is having enough. Having enough. When you have enough health, you have enough finances, you have enough goodness in your soul that you are able to live and act according to the will of God. Enough. And then, what does enough mean? Because when we think of enough sometimes, we think of it in terms of barest minimum. That, oh, we just about got there. Just, we, we just managed, uh, got to where it needed to be. But the reality is, if we check for the meaning of enough, essentially it means having all that is required. When you have all that is required, it's at that point that you say you have enough. So when we say that God is a God of enough, this passage of scripture that we've looked through in Exodus 16 gives us a very fascinating picture of this. This were the children of Israel. They had come out of Egypt. They had crossed the Red Sea. They had seen the miracles of God with all the plagues and everything. And they were in the wilderness and they started to cry out for food. I don't know if it's just me, but there are several times that I have read, I read the Bible and I read about the Israelites and I'm like, guys, come on. What is you people's problem? You've seen this, you've, everything has happened for you. What, that, what is you people's problem? The reality is that we're all like that. It's not as if they are specially stubborn. It's a window into human nature. But I can't help but sometimes read the Bible and just shake my head and be like, but what's your people's problem? You've gotten everything that you need, but yet yeah, you still find yourselves disobeying God or being in situations where you should not be. But looking at the text that we have before us, where it talks about manna falling from heaven, the Bible tells us that people went out to go and gather. And now that we know that God provides enough, because God would always provide enough for his people. That is the principle of God. God wants prosperity for your life. Yes, definitely. God wants you to prosper. But you must understand what that means. God wants you to have enough. And when we look at the, this passage of scripture, when we analyze it a bit more, we begin to see very interesting patterns. Now, the first uh, part I'd like to look at is where it tells us the amounts that these people gathered and what it looked like. The Bible tells us here that some gathered more and some gathered less, right? And they went out and they went to go and gather. And it paints a very interesting picture of the world that we see today because generally what you realize is that there is no, there's no cutoff point as far as we know for prosperity. So it's not like 
when you just when you make your first million, you're like, aha, you're finally prospered. And then, you know, for some reason, if your bank account now gets to 999,000 or 999, ah, you're poor. You're not a poor person. No, because what you will find is that what this, what this, what is enough for different people, it differs from person to person. And this is where we talk about the relativity of the term enough. Now, when, when I talk about relativity, I mean that essentially that what applies to one person doesn't always apply to another person. Sometimes it is different for the person. Now, the danger of this particular um, concept is the fact that when it becomes king, that's when there's a problem. And that is, that is one of the big things that has happened in the world today, that relativism has become king. So essentially, that's when you now get things like my truth. That, oh, I'm just telling you my truth. Oh, I'm just speaking my this, I'm speaking truth to power. Any of those very interesting taglines that we hear nowadays. Relativism, relativism is not king. However, it does not mean that it does not exist. So we see here in the passage that some people gathered more and some people gathered less. Some people gathered more and some people gathered less. And they said, to each man according to his eating. That's what my um, translation says. That to each man, to uh, some other translations will say to each man according to what he had need or to each man according to his need. And the reality is that there are different needs for different people. So for some people, perhaps they had a, they had a full football squad of children. And if they had a full football squad of children, naturally they're going to take more man at home. And there are some people who are single and therefore they're only packing for themselves. In fact, you will even find that families of four did not always have the same needs or did not even have the same definitions of what they needed. So for some, maybe their children were the ones that you cannot carry. Or they're the ones that, you know, we, we use the term stocky. Uh, or the full ground, as, as the case may be. And for those ones, their nutritional needs will be different from the ones who are less inclined to want to eat. And because of that, this was what was taken home to each of them. And we'll find that even in our lives today, it's the same thing that happens. Just because one person does not have as much as the other person, or one person has more than the other person, doesn't mean that both are not prosperous. It doesn't mean that somehow God has blessed one, has, ble has not blessed the other, or God has blessed one more, and God has blessed the other less. And we will see something very interesting when it comes to how God views prosperity, especially when it comes to what different people have. And we will see that same in the same passage that we are reading, um, the Bible tells us that when they had gathered the food, or when they had gathered the manna, and it was measured out, when it was meted out, it says that those who had who gathered more did not have surplus, and those who gathered a little did not lack. So at the end of the day, no matter what they packed, by the time they measured it, it was always one oma, no matter what happened. And this views, or this shows us God's view of prosperity. In that no matter what he's giving to each individual, in his eyes is the same thing. God owns all things. Therefore, the fact that you have a billion doesn't mean that it will reckon differently to God and as, as opposed to the person that has a million. God doesn't look at it that way. God doesn't look at it and be like, oh, I blessed, I blessed this one and then this one I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really know. 
And so we then ask ourselves then that, okay, God has given to these people all of these things. What then does he expect them to use it to do? Because we must understand that prosperity is not simply in isolation. It's not simply something that is just there. It doesn't just hang in the sky. It's not something that we just have for the sake of having. And for that, I'd like us to open our Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 25, from verse 14 to 30. Matthew 25, from verse 14 to 30. Are we there? Are we there? Okay. The Bible tells us, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability. And straight away took his journey. And he that received five talents went and traded with the same and made them another five talents. And likewise, he that received two, he also gained other two. But he that received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Then, after a long time, the Lord of the servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so he that had received five talents came and brought and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained two other talents besides them. The Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then the one who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talents in the earth. Lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answereth and said unto him, Thou weakest and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto him that hath ten talents. For every one that hath shall be given, and he that and he shall have abundance, but from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath, and cast ye the unprofitable servants into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. The story of the talent is a parable that we are all very familiar with. I was taught about this even from when I was a young lad in primary school. And you know in Sunday school they'll teach us about the talents and how they but this also gives us a window into prosperity and what God wants from it. Now, when we were learning about this, when Daddy was teaching us, he taught us that the purpose of prosperity essentially was favoring God's righteous cause. That we must favor God's righteous cause, meaning that there was something to put 
this prosperity to use. We had to put our prosperity to use. It wasn't just hanging in the air. It wasn't simply to live the good life. And that is another misconception in our world today in that we think that there's a, the purpose of prosperity or the purpose of receiving good things just to flanger or to hang out or to chill or to have a good time. This is not to say God wants you to suffer. It's not to say you should never be entertained or you should never have a good time at any point in time. But to understand that this is serious business. God has a mission. And that mission, amongst other things, is going to be helped with prosperity. So we read here, and when we're talking about relativity, this is one of the things that we'll see. We'll see that the master went and he gave some, he gave one five talents and he gave one two talents. But you would find something very peculiar in the fact that like when the master came back and he was praising his servant, you would see that it was the exact same words that he used for the servant that gave five talents more to the one that also gave two talents more, right? At the end, he didn't praise one more and then praise the other less. He didn't say, oh, my good and faithful servant that he did five. You're such an amazing child. Ah, come into your master's um, joy. And then the second one is like, well, you did okay. You managed. You're able to at least get some more. Come into your master. No. Because at the end of the day, the master essentially did not see them as very different. He didn't see them as different at all. He had all the possessions and he gave to them to use. It wasn't for them to go and do anything else with. Another thing that I noticed while I was reading this was the fact that at no point did the passage explicitly tell us that the master expected them to do anything with it. At no point did he explicitly tell them that I am leaving you as I'm giving you these things. This is what you are going to do with it. No. However, there was an innate understanding on the path of the two servants that no, this thing is not just for us to hold. It's not just for us to put in our pockets and have a good time. There is meaning. There is a need for this. There is something that has to be done with this prosperity that we have received. And then they put it to work. And because they were able to put it to work, they were able to bring in much more. And I want to talk about something else, which is that we've talked about all this. You might ask yourself at this point, okay, Pastor Femi, we're talking about, you know, God giving enough, you know, having enough and all of that. But ah, isn't it the same Bible that told us that we receive, you know, pressed together, shaking, shaking together, running over? And aren't we supposed to have abundance, right? We wanted to have, aren't we supposed to have abundance? Like, I mean, if we're in this Christian, if God is so marvelous, he has everything, all the world's riches belong to the Lord, then we should be able to have abundance. And to that, I will say this. Yes, we should have abundance. We must understand abundance in its proper context. And for us to have this picture of abundance, I'd like us to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 4. We'll be reading from verse 32 to verse 36. Acts chapter 4, 32 to 36. Can someone read for us, please? Amen. This was the pattern of the early church. We read about this and we talk about how they were all united in hearts. They all came together. They were all of one accord. But this also shows us a very interesting picture regarding 
prosperity and abundance. God wants us to have abundance, but we must understand that prosperity is not simply individual. Prosperity is not simply individual. Can someone say that? Prosperity is not simply individual. And what does that mean? It means that God doesn't just want you to prosper. He wants his church to prosper. He wants his church to be beneficiaries, to have enough. So the church is you and me. As individual human beings, we are the church of Christ. However, we are also parts of the body of Christ, which is a bunch of people coming together under the banner of Jesus Christ. And God wants prosperity for them too. God wants prosperity for his entire church. And here we find a picture of what was going on here. The Bible tells us that they were of one accord. They were of one heart. They were of one mind. And the Bible tells us that they, verse 34, it said, neither was there among any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of land or houses sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold. They said there was neither was there any of them that lacked. Lack is the great enemy of prosperity. When there is lack, there is no prosperity. And the problem in our world today is that there's neither unity in the body of Christ and there's not enough either because Christians lack. But the, another confusion could come from reading this. You read this and you think to yourself that, well, they sold their lands, they put it at the um, apostles' feet. So that must mean communism is the way to go. That, oh, you know, Christianity is communism. Christianity is, you know, we gather all our resources together and we stockpile it somewhere. And then when people need, we just start dishing out, you know, because you know, everyone owned it in common. So your, your wealth is my wealth and my wealth is your wealth and all of that. And if we do that, we would be putting ourselves in very grave danger of misinterpreting the scripture because we must differentiate between communism and what was happening over here. First of all, the first thing that, or the first difference that I would like to highlight is the fact that this was voluntary. Communism isn't. Communism, the government will just come and be like, okay, you have land, oh yeah, bring everything, and there's nothing you can do about it. And then the government holds it and they say, okay, so we'll just, and of course it's ripe for corruption, but let's not even get into any of that. There's so much that could go wrong there. But this was voluntary. This was people from their hearts saying that, okay, you know what, I want to give and ensure that my brothers and sisters do not lack. And so they did, and they gave. The second thing that we must also realize is that at no point in scripture did he ever say that the people who were possessors of land and houses sold all they had. The Bible tells us here that Barnabas, having land, sold it and brought the proceeds to the apostles' feet. Other translations that you read will say a field that he owned, and he sold it, which suggests that Barnabas had more than one field. Or Barnabas had more than one piece of property. At the end of the day, what they were doing here was not selling all their possessions and just giving it into a common bank that everyone wants to take from. No. They were giving from their abundance. It was the more that they had, the more that was above their enough that they sold and they got the proceeds and they put it at the apostles' feet. And that was distributed to everyone who lacked according to their need. And that is the true form of prosperity. True form of prosperity is 
a body of Christ where no one lacks, where those who have who have an abundance are able to take from that abundance and give to those who may currently have a bit of an issue or a bit of a problem. It's not handouts. It is ensuring that the body of Christ as one prospers. If we are going to understand prosperity, we must understand it from an individual perspective and from a collective perspective. The Bible says that we are the body of Christ. And because we are the body of Christ, it means that we are one body. If, if from now I was to go and eat rice after service, is he going to eat the rice and say, rice, as I've eaten you, do not go to the leg. I do not need you there. As you are distributing energy, I just need you in the arms, I need you in the heart, do some things for the kidney, do something for the liver, leave the legs alone. That can't happen, can it? It can't. At the end of the day, it goes to the entire body. And that is the same picture that we have of the body of Christ. That the entire body is nourished by one another. We are to nourish one another. We see an even clearer picture of this in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 15. Amen. Amen. Do we see a clearer picture of what we are talking about here? The Bible here tells us that it's not about giving what you don't have. And it's not about giving so that you, you will suffer and then the person that you are giving to will just be enjoying life and just flangering up and down. But that the fact that your abundance services their lack and their abundance service your lack, that is true prosperity. And that's the prosperity that God envisions for his church. It's not about handouts. It's not about just giving a distance to anybody. But we'll see here that it said that the people that they gave, that they begged to give, that they entreated the apostles to be able to give. Because giving is a gift. Giving is a privilege. And it's our privilege to be able to give. Because when we have an abundance, we are expected to give out of that abundance to service the lack of another individual. And when they lack, they will service, our, I mean, when we lack, they will service our own lack with their abundance. Because we're not all abundant every time. We don't, don't have money every time. There are times when someone is down and, you know, your, your period of being down might be my last two weeks, my last a month. It might be a period. And in that period, you're supported by the body of Christ, by the, by the abundance of someone else that you are lifted up because God wants his people to have enough. And it tells us here that it is not about having one suffer and then another not have. It's essentially giving your abundance to one who lacks so that there is an equality. And as the Bible said, he that had, who gathered much did not have over. And he who gathered little did not lack. Because at the end of the day, in the eyes of God, we are equal. We saw another picture of this in Genesis chapter 41. That's a lengthy passage of scripture. We have no time to read it now. But it was when um, Joseph, when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream, 
the Pharaoh had had a dream whereby there were seven fat cows, and then there are seven thin cows, and the thin cows swallowed the fat cows. I, we all remember that story, right? And I remember reading that story. Give me nightmares, because a thin cow is in a fat cow. Scary. Mm. But there it was, and the interpretation for the dream was simple. It said that there was going to be seven years of abundance, and then there was going to be seven years of uh, famine. Seven years of abundance, seven years of famine. And what we saw was that when the years of abundance were there, the Egyptians did not squander their abundance. They didn't just hang out and have fun. They didn't use it to throw a carnival or to throw some other this thing. They didn't hire gypsies to be dancing up and down. No. It was used for something else. And guess what? The Bible tells us in Genesis 41, and if you have the time, you, sh- you can take some time to read it. It says, when the famine came, it says there was famine in every land. It wasn't just Egypt. At the end of the day, Egypt's abundance did not just service them. It serviced all the other nations. And guess what? It was through that prosperity that the family of Jacob were able to reconcile once more. Because at the end of the day, prosperity has a job to do. There's a job prosperity has to do. It's to do a work in our lives, in our society, amongst brethren, amongst people. It's to do work. And Jacob was not a poor man. That's what I mean by it wasn't a handout. So at that time when he was receiving grain, it wasn't as if he was this suffering man that just came and was in ragged clothes and was saying that, ah, me, me. No. He was a well-to-do man just in a period of famine, a period when things weren't so good. And in that time, the grain in Egypt was what was able to help them. This is the picture of prosperity that we have. This is a picture of prosperity that we should have as a church. That everyone, every man should have enough. And that enough will come from God. Because God will always ensure that we have enough. God fed the people in the wilderness. God will feed us too. At the end of the day, our prosperity, the way God works, when God blesses people, God uses people. On several occasions, when God punishes, he used people too. We think of the story of the Israelites and how when it was time for them to be punished, God would raise up the Assyrians. God would raise up the Philistines. God would raise up some other country to come and invade them. And that was their punishment. But when God blessed, he also used people. When Abraham, as I like to call this, when Abraham made his first million, it, was, it did not fall from the sky. It wasn't as if he was just walking one day and then he just and he looked and said, hey, go, do, go, do, go, do. No. It was from Ahimelech. Who gave unto him? And he had. And it wasn't as if Abraham had nothing else. It wasn't as if God did not bless his business. It's not as if Abraham did not have something he was doing. He did. But in that period, to raise him up, used someone. In the same vein, God wants to use you to raise someone up. And God will use someone else to raise you up. Because that's how God has always worked. The problem in the church today, and I'll close by saying this, is that we don't see this picture. And because we don't see this picture, we'll fall into problems. The book of James chapter 4, from verse 1 to 3. I'll read from it very quickly. It 
The Bible tells us, it says, From whence come wars and fightings amongst you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. The problem of many Christians today is the fact that they want prosperity. They do. But they want it for their lusts. Not to favor God's righteous cause. Not to help a brother in need. Not to do any of that. The Bible tells us that what use is it if you have the world's good and you don't give to your brother and then you say that you have love. You do not. That is the true picture of prosperity. God wants us to prosper. Have no doubt in your mind that God wants you to have enough of everything. But if we are going to receive it, if we are going to get it, we must go through the proper channels. We must go with it with the proper understanding and we must use it in the proper context. God will abound you. But if, you are going to, if he's going to give you abundance, you must also understand this in the proper context and how it's supposed to be used to favor his righteous cause. I mean, the Lord help us in Jesus' name.